I want to talk about the hardest prayer that you're ever going to pray this morning. Um, we've been in this whole thing talking. We talk, uh, as you know, every week about our vision. Our vision is that we will be transformed by the good news of Jesus, and then that we will be a transforming influence uh, and make a difference in our world. And here's what I want to say about what I'm going to be dealing with this morning. You can't be transformed without what we're going to deal with, and you can't have a transforming influence if you won't do it. And I'm going to explain why. Prayer, as you know, is basically us coming to our Father. You can't have a relationship with anybody without a, without a relation. You can't have a relationship without talking to somebody. And that's kind of the basis for what we're going to be dealing with this morning. When I was a kid, uh, I lived in, uh, for part of my life in Barnesboro, Pennsylvania. It was an amazing metropolis, you know, 2,530 people, I think, is what the official population was. So I had, we lived next door to this, uh, this couple, this family by the name of Ferris, Richard Ferris, so I'm six years old, something like this. He's 12 years old. So you're always flattered when an older kid pays attention to you. You remember those days? So anyways, Richard Ferris said to me, we want you to join our club. And I was like, really? You know? So went to the clubhouse, which was kind of the shed they had out back. I was wondering why the chair they wanted me to sit in for the ceremony uh, had a hole in the bottom. And I found out when they shot me in the butt with a BB gun. So immediately learned, you know, don't trust older kids when they tell you they want you to join their club because they don't. <laughs> they probably want to torment you. The truth of the matter is that, you know, most of us have been shot at some point by something. And maybe it wasn't, you know, a BB gun, but it was words. Or it was somebody who did something intentional to uh, just make your life miserable. Anybody here who's ever had somebody who seemed to make it their plan to make your life miserable? Anybody? Anybody ever had that? Okay. Or somebody who like did something to you and you remember it because it hurt. Um, here's what I know. Okay, this is the way this stuff works in our lives. So you get mistreated. See the way the work the way it works is that you know I am a, a culmination of how people have treated me down through the years. Uh, you know we're a culmination of people have mistreated us and you know been, you know, unjust to us or whatever, that affects us over time. When people have been kind to us, shown favor to us, helped us, that affects us too. Now, what happens is if you've experienced a lot of injustice in your life, that is going to contaminate your heart. That's just, that's just a fact. What happens is that, you know, that mistreatment creates hate. And then when you hate somebody, that at some point creates some kind of backlash and it just keeps going. There's resentment, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. And it's this downward spiral in life. You can see this, you know, with what happened in the United States with slavery. You know, you understand why people have been oppressed. People have been forced out of their own countries and to do something that they were never supposed to do. That wasn't ever supposed to happen. And so it creates resentment, and it creates division in, in a country. We've done the same thing here in Canada. With the indigenous peoples here, you know what has happened over the years. Pulled them out of their homes, some of the kids, and it created a lot of pain. You look at countries, you know, whole countries. Look at South Africa and apartheid and, and what that has done to that country and the ongoing depth of resentment and hatred that exists in some of the people that are there. 
You look at, you know, from the Treaty of Versailles, that was the direct component that caused Hitler to hate everybody, and basically that's what kind of fueled his whole party to come to power, and it wreaked incredible havoc on this world. This, this explains a lot of history, that this resentment and this hatred and this, this stuff that gets down inside, and it gets just passed on and passed on and passed on and thrown up on every generation that comes. And there's only one way to break this. And that's that you have to make a choice. You have to choose to break it. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage that we're going to be dealing with this morning. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Sounds totally undoable, doesn't it? Now, first let me set this up. Uh, this comes from an initial speech that Jesus gave, and we're going to be talking about this starting next week. This is kind of the, the segue between the two, uh, called the second mile. So Jesus started this speech, and at first, you know, it's really good. These people come out, you know, most of them have been kicked around by the Romans. Most of the people that came out to hear him were poor people. And so he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of God belongs to them. And they're thinking, wow, this is cool. Nobody's ever blessed us before. But then by the time he gets down through all these different things, he says he gets down to the point where he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And, that, and the people thinking, are thinking to themselves, what? Well, that makes sense. Jesus gets to the end of that first part of his speech, and this is what he says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, why would he tell us to do that? That's a good question, don't you think? If you're going to, we're going to talk about persecution, we need to know what it is. I, I've used the story about this kid named Phil in high school, you know, and he used to rib me because I was a Christian and just kind of was always sticking me. That's not persecution. That's high school, okay? People do that when they're in high school, you know, so that's what it is. I felt persecuted. But the actual word is a Greek word. I know you're going to be impressed with this. It's dioko is the name of the word. And it's talking about pursuing somebody. It's talking about hunting them down. It's talking about chasing them. It's talking about making their lives miserable, driving them away. That's what this actually means. And the specific example that Jesus gave in this context was, you know, Roman soldiers. And there's a place in this where he says, you know, you're going to probably get asked at some point if you're a healthy person, and some Roman soldier is going to come along with this 70-pound sack, and you're going to be going off to see your girlfriend or going off to see your relatives or going to a wedding, and they're going to stop you in the middle of your thing, and they're going to say, you've got to carry this pack for the next mile, and you're going to hate them for it. The thing that's going to come up inside is, why should you be able to do this to me just because I'm a Jewish person? And this is what Jesus says, you know what you do? At that point, you make a choice that takes you out of being a victim of what they choose to do to you, and you then carry it for the second mile. It's the choice. It's a choice that takes you out of this mode. Now, the Romans ran Israel, and if you know this, you know, there were lots of different responses to it. There was a group, the Essenes, that said, we're just going to escape. And so they went out into the desert, and they had their own commune out there and stuff like this, and, you know, just get away from it. Some people just ignored them, 
tried to pretend that they didn't exist. Some people collaborated with him. If you know Matthew, if you read his book, he was one of the collaborators. He says, I'll help you uh, collect your money if it can make me some money. And so he's a collaborator. And then another guy in Jesus' group was one of the ones that said, the only good Roman is a dead Roman, so let's just kill them all. Like, let's get revenge and so on. So he had all these, this whole mixture of stuff in terms of how to deal with people. And we, feel with, we deal with some of the same stuff. When you feel pain inside, when you feel that somebody is sticking it to you, when you feel that somebody is just trying to make your life miserable, when somebody hurts you and they never apologize, they never do anything, what do you feel inside? Or resentment would be the thing that comes to mind, right? That's what you feel. And so Jesus, and he's talking about this new kingdom that he's going to start, and he says, if the world is ever going to change, because it had gotten to that point, the mess that it was in at that point, it had gotten to that point by people just doing what comes naturally, which is hating people who hurt them, and resenting them, and trying to kill them off. And so things had to change. And you think, well, why pray for them? Well, you think about that. Is it possible to hate somebody when you're praying for them. Now, you can actually do this, you know. God send the fleas from a thousand camels into their home, you know. Infest their house with giant poisonous spiders, you know. Cause them to get bitten by snakes when they're out in the way. You know, you can, you can pray. Like, and they're called imprecatory prayers. You can see some of them in the Psalms. And this is basically what you say is, these were people, it says, come to God when you've got all of this pent-up resentment down inside. Talk to them about it. And that's what you find. That's what you find. But then when you begin to pray, then God is able to have a handle on your heart. He's beginning, he can change you from it. Now, let's, let's just, you know, talk a little bit more about what persecution is. Is it persecution if, like, you're taking more breaks than you should at work, and you're getting there late and getting, you know, home early, and you take a little bit of money because you need it from the till and stuff like that, and so your manager comes and says, you, st- you keep doing this, we're going to fire you and I'm going to be watching over your shoulder. Is that persecution? No, it's called management. It's what they're supposed to do, right? And this, listen to what uh, Paul talks about this, and he says, there's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. If you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. If, you're, you, know, if you go out and you buy something, okay, and you buy more than you can afford, and, you know, and all of a sudden, you've got people who are calling you day and night. And they're not calling you because they like you. They're calling you because they want their money, okay? Bill collectors. So are they persecuting you? No, they want their money. You promised that you would pay, you know, and you're not paying. Um, there's, there's, you know, something else here. It sounds to, to me like Jesus is saying, just like wimp out, you know, just let them walk on your back. Just be passive. You know, be this rug on the floor and they can just walk all over you. But that's not what he's saying. He's talking about a different kind of action so that you don't get contaminated with what the person has done to you. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that happens. Now, the alternative, I don't think to that. I don't think it's a good one. So, hi, my name is Ken, and I've been beaten around, kicked around all my life, and I've experienced prejudice, and I've experienced, you know, people who haven't liked me, and so on. So, my name is Ken, and I am a victim. So, anybody ever met a powerful victim? 
You know, victims are help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, I can't do anything. You know, I've, got, I've been hauled, you know, hauled into this. It's victim. You know, that's the other alternative when somebody hurts you. And Jesus is saying, you got to take a step out of that. And the way you step out of that mode is by the choices that you make when people do that kind of stuff to you. Um, Jesus basically says, go on, take your, world, take your cues, not from the world system, but from God. <laughs> he makes a very interesting thing here. He says, you know, like people who are evil, they, you know, they're, they're good to their friends and they hate their enemies. Hitler, you know, he's good to his friends. Hated his enemies. Pol Pot, he was good to his friends, hated his enemies. Mafia, Godfather. You ever seen the film film The Godfather? You know, he was good to his friends. I make you an offer, you go refuse, you know. He was he was good to his he was good to his friends and hated his enemies. So and Jesus says, What makes you any different than the world system when you hate your enemies, when you hate the people who do this stuff to you, and you're kind and you're good to the people who come up and say, Oh, I think you're so cool. No different. He said, you've got to be different because that's the only way out of this. Now, our tendency is also to think that they got away with it. Well, that's the interesting thing because Jesus says there's a judgment. Nobody gets away with what they do. Nobody gets away with what they do. Now, here's the other side to this, okay? I have treated other people badly. I know it's hard for you to believe but I've treated people badly. I've hurt them. I mean, am I standing up here in my underwork? Anybody, anybody else here ever hurt anybody else? Maybe you didn't chase them down, or at least you didn't think you did, but anybody here? Come on, raise your hands. Let's, confession is good for the soul. Have you ever hurt anybody in your life? We all have, right? What if you got what you deserved? What if you got what you deserved? There's a story, and I'm, this is an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So you no, need to know, if you tell this story outside of here, I'm going to have to hunt you down and kill you, okay? Persecute you. So I'm traveling with this band back, I'm in my 21, I think. And uh, so we're, we're traveling around, you know, northeast part of the United States and singing and stuff. So we, after this concert, we got into this debate about what we were going to do the next day. We wanted to go to the beach and see, like I thought, I think we can sleep in more than what you're suggesting. And I'm telling you, like right there, I mean, there wasn't people around necessarily, but I made a scene and it was uncomfortable. So I didn't get my way, okay? So the next day we're at the beach and things seemed a little odd, you know, and especially when we started having our devotions. I said, is there something wrong here? And all the eyes turned to me and it started coming out about what a jerk I was. And I'm telling you, it's one of those things that, you know, it just, it just, it cuts you like right to the soul in, in a good way. And after we had experienced that, the guy who was leading the team, he said this, he read this passage, and I'll never forget it. The man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him. And that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. A long time ago. And I'm telling you, I will never forget that. See, because when you receive the love 
from other people and the forgiveness from other people that you don't deserve. It changes your life. Now, you may be thinking, oh, Ken, <laughs> you were a jerk, okay? But that's different than chasing people down. It's different than sticking it to them. It's different than, you know, making their lives miserable and putting them in jail, okay? So let me tell you about a guy who did that. And you probably know who it is. His credentials are that he was part of a fascist system and a strategic part of, you know, had a strategic part in it and had, the, had earned the highest honors. And there was a religious minority group that he hated and perceived to be the prime troublemakers in the world of that day. And his name was Saul. Persecution would be a mild word for what he did to people because he hunted them down and he chased them down. And he tried to get everybody else to hate them too. And the ones he could, he killed. And the rest, he put in jail. Listen to what this says about him. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Before he's able to do this, Jesus apparently had a meeting with him. He's riding along in his horse, and he thinks he's going to be able to do this. And He actually thinks he's doing the world a favor. And Jesus met him on the path and knocked him off his horse, and he's blinded. He's groping around, and he gets led back to Damascus. Guess who Jesus asks to go and pray for his healing? It was one of his followers, one of the guys that he was going to go and capture. So this guy, Ananias, he's, he's a little reluctant. But Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And just in case you have any question about what he was doing, the first words that Jesus said to him is, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Same word. Listen to what he says about himself. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, and trusted me with his ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were invective and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me. You understand what changed his life? It was grace, forgiveness. And all because of Jesus. And here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Somebody was praying for this guy. Somebody was praying for their enemies and praying for those who persecuted them. And they never thought it would happen. They never thought it would happen. Paul goes on to write one of the most powerful descriptions of love. You've probably had it read at your wedding. Love is patient. And love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. proud. Love never gives up. In all of his letters, he talks about love. Just every single one of them. And he says, this is the key characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus. It's love. 
And see, the problem is that resentment and hatred kills off love. It's what we're called to do. He talks in one of his in one of his letters, and I'm just wondering if it was autobiographical uh, in, in Ephesians chapter four. And he says, "If you let anger, if you let anger down into your heart, and you let it set there overnight, you let it set there for any length of time," he said, "it will corrupt you. It gives a foothold to the devil, and will ultimately grieve the spirit of God, who always calls us to love." And he goes on to end that by saying, you need to forgive like you've been forgiven. See, that's the deal. You forgive like you've been forgiven. And that's what Jesus taught with his life. Right at the end of his life, this is what it says. They came to a place called the skull, and they nailed him, Jesus, to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Pray for your enemies. What happened to Jesus' followers is that there was, spurred on by Paul and, and then by others, there was this intense, intense persecution. Like, you know, Nero, who kind of perfected it, he would, he would tie Christians to a, a piece of wood, and then he would dip them in wax and put them in his garden and light them. It was horrible. Paul himself ended up in the Mamertine prison and he was beheaded in 66 AD. Horrible things happened. And you think people would be going around saying, man, I don't want to be one of them. But they did. Plagues went through Rome and it was the Christians when people would throw their relatives out in the street because they didn't want to get contaminated by them. It was the Christians that came and picked them up and tried to bring them back to health and comfort them while they were dying. It was the followers of Jesus. Romans, because they had this thing where they could just, if they didn't want a kid, they had a, a baby that was born. Typically, it was a female. Just, and they would take the baby out to the garbage dump, and they would leave it out there. They called exposing it, and they would just leave the baby there to die. And it was the Christians, it was the followers of Jesus that went out. Christians would have their kids wrapped in sheepskins and then sent into the arena, and then they would sick the wild dogs on them and kill their children. And Christians kept on loving and kept on forgiving. You see, what do you do when somebody's not afraid of death? And I'm telling you, they changed the world. That's how the West was won. It wasn't won by a bunch of chickens saying, you know, well, if they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them, you know. And as strange and as undoable as what this sounds, this is what we are called to do. This is the thing that is going to actually, this is what transforms our lives and transform the lives of people around us. Now, the alternative is to just carry the resentment. We've all done that, right? Everybody's carried a little resentment in your heart? Anybody besides me? Of course you have. I have too. Hey, let me give you an illustration of that. In this church we were in down in Pennsylvania, we got our water from a well. So they would test the water. They had to come and do that annually, just like they do here. So the guy came and he said, you got some bacteria in your well. And I, thought, I said to him, I said, well, what do you think it is? He said, I think there's a dead rat in your well. And I, I, I thought back to every drink of water I'd taken to the drinking fountain that was right outside my, my door there. So anyways, so 
<laughs> just for your viewing enjoyment, you know. <laughs> so, see, the question isn't who is the rat in your well? The question is, and the, and the statement is, resentment is the rat in your well. Doesn't make any difference who it is. Let me illustrate that in a different way. Okay. I made meatloaf last night, okay? So this isn't bad, but um, how many of you would like a drink of this? <laughs> Perfectly clean meatloaf. It's, it's good stuff, but you know, here, I'll, I'll pour a glass. Anybody want a drink? I've got my turkey cup here. Do you want some of this? See, you know, the smartest man in the world who was Solomon, he said, he said you need to guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of your life. Let me just play that out a little bit. This is the well that you drink from every day. And if you've got this crap inside your well, if you've got a dead rat in your well, if you're holding on to resentment and bitterness because somebody hurt you and they got away with it and you're angry and so on, and you've never resolved this and you've never chosen what you're going to do with it, I'm telling you, you've got a corrupted well. And every time they test it, they're going to be telling you, you've got bacteria in your well. And that's why Jesus said, you need, to, you need to love your enemies. And you need to pray for the people who persecute you and make your life miserable. It's a choice that we have to make. It's interesting, in talking about anxiety, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, don't be anxious about anything which happens when we have somebody who's making our lives miserable. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Give God the rat in your well. Okay? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't peace what you want? It's what I want. And that's what Jesus talks about through this whole message he gives. Peace with God peace with others, and peace within, peace with yourself. So one more story, and then we're done, okay? Lori, uh, my wife, went to Burnham Thorpe Collegiate, which is over in the west side of town, um, and it was an art high school. It was specialized, so she was in this whole specialized art class. So she was able to do art for the last four years of, of, uh, of high school, which was great. She had two teachers because it was so specialized. One of them was a great guy, strict, but, you know, really good. And then the other guy was, well, difficult, okay? His name was Philip Aziz. And, uh, and so he found out that Lori was a believer in Jesus, and so he would just stick her occasionally, you know, just to kind of... So this ramped up. Lori did really well in the class. She won the, you know, the um, school board art award and so on and could have gone to any, uh, any of the colleges, any of the art colleges and so on. So she gets this award, best student in, in the class, apparently. And so Aziz finds out about this and so on, and he says, so he says, where are you going to go to art college. What, which one are you going to go to? And she said, well, I'm going to go to Bible college. Well, <laughs> so like that set him off and like he was on a mission, you know, and, and it was like, you're going to be a nun. You could go to any art. So this was in front of all the kids in the class. You know, you're going to be a nun. You could go to any art college and stuff. And eventually Lori just you know, got up and walked out of the class. So 
never really knew what happened to uh, Philip Aziz at all. We started here uh, 16 years ago. We got involved in just about every organization that's out there to help people. And we are still involved in, all over the place. We have people who are volunteering and sending help and so on. And uh, we found this story about this um, guy who had AIDS and had been thrown out of his family. And there was a little church downtown that took him in and just loved him. And they were there for him, and they helped him, and they served him. He had no one else in the world to do this. And they just walked with him. And just a few, about a month before he died, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then he donated his whole estate to the church for them to use to help people who were just like him. And they did. And we found out that it's called the Philip Aziz Center. Same guy she'd had as a teacher. See, love breaks things down. It breaks down what happens. It breaks down people's hatred. It's the unexpected thing that happens. It's, it's what God uses to change our hearts. It's what God uses to change the world. And we have a chance to be a part of it. We have a chance to be a part of it. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. And I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to bow your head. I'm not going to ask for any response. But I, I just want you to be able to concentrate. And here's the question that I want to ask you. Who is the person that's in your mind? Because there is likely somebody that you can resent. Maybe, maybe you've dealt with that, and that's great. But it could be the person that you sleep next to every night. And there's something about them that you've never dealt with. It could be a parent. It could be one of your children. It could be somebody who hurt you at a very young age. It could be a teacher that you had that made a fool of you. It could have been somebody who picked on you because all this stuff you see sticks in there. And I just want to ask you to at least think about making the choice to pray for them. God, you know how these things get into our hearts and into our lives and how they contaminate the well and how they corrupt our ability to love and how they stall us out in life and, and how they affect, God, uh, our relational world because we're all formed by what has happened, happened to us over the years. And the truth of the matter is we need the power of your spirit. We can't do this on our own. It's impossible. But when your spirit, the spirit of love and grace and hope, mixes it up with human beings, amazing things happen. And I would just pray this morning that you will help us to reach out for and to hold on to the kind of grace and love that allows us to pray for the people who have heard us. In the name of Jesus.